We're going to be hopping in to the book of Acts. We started a series back in the spring, and we're continuing on in the book of Acts. So we'll be in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 32, and we'll be finishing chapter 9 this morning together as we seek to know and to understand God's word this morning together. So if you haven't been with us, we, have, we started Acts 1, and we're all the way up to the end of Acts 9, so a brief recounting for that if you're our guest or if you're just hopping in with us. We see the book of Acts as a very formational story of the beginning of the New Testament church. So we see God, through his people, at work advancing the gospel, both in Jerusalem and then out throughout the world. So if you're a guest today, we want to welcome you to join us as we continue this story of God being among his people. That as Jesus promised to be with his people even as he ascended, he promised that he would send his Holy Spirit to be with his people and to be at work through them. So we will see an instance of that here in our text this morning and actually two instances of that as we see Peter heal someone. And actually, it's not Peter, but he says Jesus is the one who heals. We'll see as Peter is then requested to go to a different city, to Joppa, that someone is raised from the dead and God's people rejoice and are glad. We see that God is both present and powerful through his people. So last week, we saw Paul arriving in Jerusalem and being known among the Jews there, the believers there, and him starting his ministry there. But now we're going to see the story of Peter. And some of where Peter's been in the book of Acts, as we've been together, we see Jesus promising to send a spirit before he ascends in Acts 1. Acts 2, we see the day of Pentecost and Peter preaching and many, many, many people being saved through Peter's preaching. In Acts 3, we see Peter and John heal a beggar. And what he says to that beggar is he's begging for money, for help. He says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, arise. And then after that healing, they have to go before a religious council. And we see picked up in Acts 5 that there's a description in verses 12 through 16 of many signs and wonders being done in Jerusalem and Peter being one of the primary instruments of that signs and wonders and healing happening. In Acts 8, we see Peter and John go to Samaria and to pray for the new converts there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And then we'll see Peter's story pick up here and continue on for the next several weeks. So that's where Peter's been. Peter, the disciple who denied Jesus being used powerfully for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. So one of the things before we get into the text today, as we see God doing mighty things through Peter, I hope that it would encourage you that the same disciple who denied Jesus is being used powerfully by Jesus, experiencing, experiencing his very presence working through Peter. So we're going to hop in to the text now. Acts chapter 9, verse 32 through 43. Would you join me as I read God's word? Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas bedridden for eight years 
who is paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And then they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Let's pray that God would be at work through his word among us today, giving us faith and trust in what he can do and who he is. Let's pray. God, we take time now to pause and ask your very presence among us this morning as we look to your word. God, as we see this story of a person being healed and a person being raised from death, we pray that you would break through our doubts, that you would stir up faith within our hearts, that you, the God who has made all things and are in control of all things, can do whatever pleases you. And that, God, you have promised to be at work through your people. So we pray that you would help us to believe that you have promised to be with us, and not only that, that you have promised to work through us for your glory and for the good of people. Oh God, today as we study your word, would we trust that indeed at the name of Jesus people can be healed. That, oh great God, whether in this life or the next, that you are powerful and conquer death. Oh God, would you be with us this morning? Would you stir our hearts to faith and then stir us to action to take your word and to believe it and to trust that you will be at work through us, your disciples. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to see a couple of things this morning I want to point out through the story of a healing and the raising of Tabitha from the dead. We're going to see that God's presence and his power are seen through his people. Through these texts today, we see that God's presence and power are seen through his people. Also, side note, For kids out there, we're also seeing this story that it's important to make your bed. Not the most important thing, but we see that even after you're like healed, after an eight-year paralyzation, that it's important to make your bed. So parents, take that one home. Again, not primary, but it's there. So we're going to see that. 
So most importantly, again, we see God's presence and power through his people. Again, God promised, Jesus promised that he would not leave his people alone. As Jesus is getting ready to ascend into the heavens, his disciples are like, is, is kingdom of God at hand? Or are you like ready to take over and like rule this thing like we thought you were going to? says, no, I'm going away, but I will send the promised helper, the Holy Spirit. So when we say that we see God's presence here, we see God's presence by his spirit through his people as he is doing miraculous things through Peter and this passage. So we see first, we see God's presence. Again, Acts 2, the spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. We talked about this a couple of months ago as we were looking at Acts 2. God's powerful spirit was poured out mightily. There are many people who came to be saved as the book of Acts is progressing. And as we'll see, even going forward, God is doing many miraculous things through the New Testament church. If you're a guest here today, don't know much about us as a church, there are some who would believe that these miraculous gifts were only available to establish the church and then they cease to exist. Based on scripture, based on the New Testament, based on the book of Acts, based on epistles that were written by God's apostles, we still believe those gifts are available today. So as we talk about healing, as we talk about God's power over life and death, we see in the New Testament that these things are still available today. They're miraculous. They aren't all that common in our area. And there might be many reasons why that might be true. But we believe that God is still doing miraculous things all across the globe for his glory and for the good of those who would turn to him. So just as we start into this, that's kind of where we are as a church. We believe, and I, my prayer this week as I've been studying as I've had doubts arise and God stir me to faith, I, I, I believe that God wants us to hear afresh that he can do great and mighty things by the power of his spirit through his people. And I hope that is true today for you as well. And we see that happen by God being present with us. Jesus didn't leave us as orphans, but he has indwelt us with his powerful Holy Spirit. Our very God lives within us, those who trust in Christ. In Romans 8, Paul writes that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that resides within us. Oh, church, trust that God by his very presence is powerfully living in you. And we don't just see God's presence by miraculous healing or raising from the dead. I think in this text, we also see God's very spirit dwelling in the story and the testimony of Tabitha, also called Dorcas. As we see Galatians 5 talking about the fruits of the spirit, it seems that the Holy Spirit was at work through this wonderful, beautiful picture of a disciple. She was commended for her generosity and her care, making things to care for others, being weeped over by fellow disciples, mourning the loss of a dear saint. 
Church, today as we look at this passage, don't just look at the miraculous to look for God's presence, but look for the marks of the Spirit as we know them by the New Testament and one another's life. The miraculous isn't the only thing that has great impact on those around us. Tabitha's great generosity and care for people as the Spirit was working within her had great marks on those who were around her. God is at work through us, both through the miraculous and through the seemingly mundane. So where do we see God's presence here in the text as we look at the end of chapter 9? Well, we see that as Peter goes and as he's traveling outside of Jerusalem, again, God's presence used to be contained in one place amongst his people, whether in the garden at the very beginning or traveling with his people in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, or being established in the temple in Jerusalem, we now see that God's presence is with his people as they scatter. God's very presence isn't just contained in Jerusalem anymore. As God's people scatter, fulfilling the mission that God has called them to do, it goes with them. So we see God's very presence going with Peter as he travels out of Jerusalem to Lydda. And we see, as Peter is healing Aeneas, what does he say? Verse 34, And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. He doesn't say, I heal you. This isn't Peter solely having a gift that is in and of himself, but it is Jesus Christ who is present and doing the healing by the power of the Spirit. We see God's very presence in this healing, that it's not Peter being a supremely gifted person, but it is God being very present in that moment, healing Aeneas. So God is present in the healing. And when we look at the story of Tabitha, also called Dorcas, which means gazelle, we see that Peter prays. We don't know exactly what he prays. That's not recorded here. But we know, based on the testimony of Scripture, that healing and raising are done in Jesus' name. He's asking for the very power of God to come down and heal Tabitha, even from death. For this to happen, God had to be present. So we see God's presence through the healing and through the raising. It's a powerful presence. It's a sure presence. He is with his people. And again, we see in hindsight God's presence in Tabitha. Take a moment to look. Again, not only just in the miraculous is God there, but in her development as a disciple. What do we know about Tabitha called Dorcas? She made clothes and garments and she cared for widows. These things marked her life. She was giving to others. She did that because the spirit was at work within her. We don't just see God's presence in the miraculous. We do see it in the miraculous, but we also see it in the work of sanctification in Jesus' disciples' lives. 
We had a series earlier this year on sanctification. We had a great sermon describing the Holy Spirit's role in our sanctification, our growing to be more and more like Jesus, saying no to sin and yes to what God would have us walk out in our lives. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Or if you're new here or catching on and missed a good chunk of the book of Acts so far, I would encourage you to go to the website and look and see the instances of God making promises and fulfilling those promises and doing mighty works through his disciples. Not only in this text, but all throughout Acts, we see that God is present with his people. Jesus promised that we would not be left alone. And indeed, he is with us at work. So we see both through the miraculous and through the mundane and the process of our sanctification that the Holy Spirit is within us. We also see that the Holy Spirit is within us because he gives us gifts to use to build up the church and to be on mission with the gospel. We see that here. That God's presence, what, what, why, did, why did God, through Peter, do this? Was it just to make one man's life better and to give a woman some more days on this earth? Why, why did this happen? Well, we see the presence through gifts that the Holy Spirit has given his church. We see a lot of instruction about the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 12, we see the gift of healing described. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So how do we see God's spirit present among us even today? We see it through the gifts, the spiritual gifts that he has given to the church to exercise to build one another up, and to also be on mission, making God's name known wherever he may take us. God is present with us by his Holy Spirit. What else do we see in this passage? We see God's power. So we saw God's presence. The Holy Spirit is with Peter as he heals and raises. Jesus is the one who heals we also see God's power. Again, verse 34, as we look at chapter 9. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. To reiterate, this is Jesus' power, not Peter's power. This isn't Peter's power, it is Jesus' power. We see a similar healing in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 2 
where Jesus heals a paralytic man and says, get up, take your mat, and go home. Our God is a God who has power over sickness and death. The testimony of Jesus as he's walking out his ministry in the Gospels is one, yes, of revealing who he is as the Son of God who came to lay down his life and to serve and to rescue a people. And as part of that, he reveals himself to be powerful. Our God is powerful and is over all in this life, even sickness and death. So we see God's power at work here through Peter. One thing I want to caution us with is when we don't see this prevalent in our society today, what, what does that mean for us? Does that mean it's no longer valid? Does it mean that we should doubt that we're doing something wrong? Does it mean that we should pray more earnestly? Well, I think continuing on, as Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, one of his instructions was to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. I know personally for me and perhaps for you, pursuing what Paul wrote in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, this list of gifts, which is not exhaustive, it's not all of the gifts available, but they were gifts available to the church for the benefit of the church and to proclaim the gospel and to see it expand. Chapter 14, Paul instructs to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. He says especially prophecy as it builds up, but he doesn't say only prophecy. So one question I would ask you today, as we seek to experience God's power here and now on this side of heaven, do you earnestly desire the spiritual gifts? Perhaps one reason that we, the church in America, don't regularly see healing is because our experience is when we are sick, we go to a doctor. Caveat, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. Want to be careful there. My wife's a nurse in a NICU and she takes great care of babies. We value medical care and developments in medical care. But I think one of the things that has swayed us away from asking God to do miraculous things is a reliance upon scientific medical care. I'm sure many of you know or have experienced personally or by someone else in your life having diseases, illnesses that even medicine cannot heal or make better. I think our society today is longing for that magic potion to take away cancer, to get rid of a virus, to end debilitating diseases. And while there are many great advances in medical care and scientists doing miraculous things to be able to care for people and make them well, there is only one physician who can heal all infirmities. No matter how great our scientists and doctors and nurses are, they are not God. So even while we rely 
on skilled doctors and nurses and healthcare providers? Are we relying on God for powerful healing? Are we expecting God to do things that only he can do? Now, he doesn't heal every time. And I can understand that that's what makes it hard to have our faith stirred, to trust that he's going to do something. And it's not our faith that makes this magic prayer work. It's this mystery of God doing what he wants, when he wants, for his glory. So why can't Jesus' followers heal everyone if the Holy Spirit, very God, is within them, that he is powerful over life and death? Well, I think we see even in today's reading as we opened up our gathering in Revelation 21 that God's plan is not fully consummated. But he still gives foretastes and proof of his power over life and death, all according to his sovereign plan. We hear testimonies of missionaries as they are breaking new ground, as they seek to make God's name known where it isn't. That is often the place where we hear reports of God doing many miraculous things as his name is made known among the nations. We also do hear testimonies from within the church of those who are sick or infirmed being made well. And when these things happen, we need to not take it as something that we are to proclaim for ourselves and hold in, but we are to testify to God's goodness and his glory and his power. We've had stories here of praying over people and hearing seemingly being restored when it wasn't there. Oh, church, have your hearts stirred to faith that God is powerful and indeed in his sovereign will works through his people. He is present with us and he is powerful. And why do we see God doing these things through his disciples? As we see Aeneas healed, we see that it is for those who don't follow Jesus to turn to the Lord. Let's again look at chapter 9. After Aeneas is healed, why does God choose he to heal Aeneas? It's for the salvation of people. Verse 35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Why does God choose at different times and different places to do miraculous things? It is to testify to his power over life and death and for people to then trust in the very work of Christ and to turn to him and follow him. Why does God do miraculous works through his people? It's for the salvation of people. We also see that God does miraculous things through his people. He's at work through his people for encouragement or the building up of his people. Verse 32, who was present there? He came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. Verse 36, we see Tabitha described as a disciple or follower of Jesus. 
Verse 41, then calling the saints after Tabitha is raised, he presented her alive. Why does God do miraculous works showing that he is with his people? It's for their encouragement and to stir them to faith. Another reason why God does miraculous works is so that his name is glorified. What do we do when we see miraculous things happen? What do we do when we see prayers answered? We don't just go, whew, good, and then move on. We praise the very God of those miracles. What are we to do when we see God at work? We are to give him glory for how he has worked, for showing that he is present with us, and for showing his awesome power. Why do we see miraculous works such as healing or raising from the dead happen? We see it so that God receives the glory that he deserves. So in this story, we see a healing and a raising. We've talked about why God sometimes chooses to have these things take place for the advance of his gospel, for the edification of his people, and for his ultimate glory So what are we to do with this? Now what? As we look at the story of a healing and a raising and we look back, are we just supposed to look back and say, God, you did miraculous things about 2,000 years ago. Praise God. As I was studying and praying for what God would have for us through his word this week, that was the question that came to mind as I was praying day after day. God, what, what do you want us to do with this? These amazing, miraculous things that only you can do and that don't seem to be very present in our time and place, what do we do? Do we just look back or are we supposed to do something about what we see in this passage? There's a few things that as I was continuing to study and pray that I feel God impressed upon my heart that I want to share with how we can apply this passage of scripture. Now what? We pray and we earnestly desire for God to be at work within us. As a people who often want to know what to do or what to say or to be strengthened and ready to go and just do the thing, the first step we need to do is to sit and to pray and to ask God to be with us. As we've grown as a church and as we've been together for a long time or some of you for a short time, one of the desires that we have together is to grow and our dependence upon God in prayer. Church, do you, do I, earnestly sit before God asking him to work through you, through me, for his glory as we seek to make his name known here in Northeast Philly and around the world? As we see miracles happen here at the end of chapter 9 of Acts, are we asking God to do the same things through us, his disciples, today? 
As we again look to Paul as he's writing to the church in Corinth, reminding them, encouraging them to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Do you pray regularly, regularly, earnestly, asking God to be at work through you for his glory and for the good of the church and those around you? What do we do when we study a passage like this? How should it stir our hearts and our actions? We need to pray and earnestly desire for God to be at work within us. What else do we do? This isn't really a to-do, but is a really asking God to work in us. It's have faith that God is still at work in the world today. Perhaps one of the reasons why you doubt that this can happen today is because you aren't asking God to show you that he is still at work. Whether that's being oblivious to those stories of missionaries across the globe who are seeing God do great and mighty things to make his name known among people who do not yet know him, or not being connected to a local body of believers who is regularly praying for one another, asking God to do miraculous things amongst his people. Stir your heart toward faith by asking God to show you regular occurrences of his working in this world. That can be signing up to hear reports from missionaries that are abroad. That can be regularly asking people how God has been at work in their lives. That can be testifying to God's work in your life that will stir the faith in others of what God is doing and that he indeed is active and present today. Have your faith stirred toward God that he is still at work in the world today. What else can we do? James writes at the end of his letter and encourages the sick to call for the elders to pray for them and to anoint them with oil. Today, we have this available every Sunday, but don't regularly say it, and maybe it's something we should encourage you as the church to seek more. But if you are sick or infirm today, the elders who are here have been praying and asking that God would show his presence among us today. So if you're sick or have an infirmity, we would love to anoint you with oil today and pray over you, that God may heal you. Again, God is the one who is sovereign over the healing, but throughout the New Testament, we are convinced that God is not done being at work through his people today. We also don't see the gift of healing exclusively held in the office of apostle or within the local church, the office of elders. But we do see James specifically saying, go to the elders, ask for them to pray for you and anoint you with oil. If you are sick today or dealing with an infirmity that will not go away, we encourage you to come to us for prayer. We aren't promising a healing, but we are trusting that God, who is present with us, 
will, according to his sovereign plan, be at work in ways to build up our faith today. And if you're sitting here and aren't a follower of Jesus today and you hear a guy in 2021 talking about healings and a raising from the dead back in the early first century and you're thinking, this church is a little crazy and I don't know what to do with this. I'm trusting that even though it might be weird to be here this morning hearing about healing and somebody being raised from the dead, that God is doing something within you. That one of the very purposes of his healing, both back then and now, is to reveal his presence and his power and to prove that he is real and has power over life and death, both physically and spiritually. So if you're here today and are kind of weirded out by us talking about God who can heal even today, I ask you to turn to him. He is kind and powerful. He rules over all. He has created all things and in his kindness, even though we as his creatures who are created and were called very good, even those of us as we have fallen, as he here described within church circles as those who have sinned against him, that he has shown kindness by revealing himself to us through his son, Jesus. So if you're not a believer in Jesus today, what should you do with this? I encourage you to turn to Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is the very son of God. And he, being God himself, came down to earth even as Paul opened our meeting this morning from Philippians 2. He laid down his life for the good of those who would turn to him. See, a father's love so great that he would send his only son that whoever would believe in him shouldn't perish but would have eternal life. We see in the scriptures that Jesus lived the life that was commanded by the law. They was perfect in all of his ways. They laid down his life and died on the cross to pay the penalty of sin. That he was buried, but on the third day he rose again, showing his power over sickness and death and sin. And he ascended, he rose into the heavens where he ever lives above and intercedes for those he loves. And we see that he's coming back and that the new heavens and new earth that we see described in Revelation chapter 21, that that is real and that is coming and it is glorious for those who are in Jesus, but those who aren't will experience something that is not pleasant. We don't like to talk about it, but they will experience separation from God. They will not be able to Rejoice in the glory of God, but they will say, oh no. I, when I heard, should have trusted in Christ. So as we hear of healing and raising, God may choose to do that physically for you today, but I know that he has promised, even if he does not do that, if you call out to him, 
for salvation, that anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. And that whatever infirmities, sickness, besetting sins, or even death, those will become untrue for those who are in Jesus. As we read earlier in Revelation 21, in the new heavens and the new earth, all the chaos and disorder and sadness and sickness and death will be no more for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as we consider, again, God's presence and his power, church, turn toward this very God who is present with us and who has power over sickness and death. Church, have your heart stirred to faith that he can do what only he can do. And would you be praying that God would be at work through us, his people, as we seek to make his name known all across Northeast Philadelphia and the surrounding area. And as we send people as missionaries to other places in the world where Jesus is not yet known. We need God's presence and his power to do what he has called us to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you show your kindness to us by being present with us. We thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit. We pray that as we linger in this place, fellowshipping with one another, praying for one another, and as we scatter, seeking to make your name known wherever we are going, we pray that you would be with us, and we pray that you would stir our hearts to pursue you, and we pray that you would stir our hearts to earnestly desire the gifts that you would give us. Oh God, would you be at work mightily through your people, not so that we would be a place that becomes a spectator event of seeing your work, but we would be a place where your name is lifted up, that your power and your glory is seen, and that you would be worshipped and that many would trust in Jesus. God, there are those among us who doubt that you can still or would choose to still be at work in these ways. Where we need to be rebuked and exhorted, would you rebuke and exhort us with your word? Would you cause us to have charity toward one another? Or even pursuing miraculous gifts, would it not be so that our names would be made great, but would it be so that our love for one another and our love for you would be preeminent? That even those who are gifted most by your Holy Spirit, it is not for their glory, but it is for your glory and to be exhibited in love toward one another. Oh God, should you choose to be with us this morning, may your name be lifted high. Would we give testimony for the many ways you are at work and as we come back week after week, as we gather with smaller groups of disciples, would you have on the forefront of our mind the recounting of the ways you are at work both through the miraculous and through the day-to-day? God, would you give 
would you receive glory for all that you are doing? Would you stir our hearts to faith that you are still present with us and you are powerful beyond our wildest imagination? And God, as we take time now to remember Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, as we have a foretaste of the feast we'll one day enjoy with you in heaven, would we be reminded of the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us? As we eat the bread and drink from the cup, would we be reminded of the great sacrifice that Christ made? Would we enjoy the sweetness of the fellowship that we now have with you and with other believers? And would we be reminded that you indeed are coming back again? That all your promises have either already come true or will come true. So God, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together, would you be with us, encouraging us where we need to repent and confess our sin, would you help us to do that? And would you help us to come to the table now in a moment with faith, trusting that you are at work through your people today? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.